to the mic, they start dimming the lights, you start feeling alright From Birmingham, home with the Teddy Longs, and the room is studded More once you discover, for all of the lovers, Whitney Houston and Roman Reigns For all of the lovers, and Mickey James and Marvin Gaye For all of the lovers, and Sasha Banks, Janelle Monae, Silk, Sonic, and Paige Allow me to say, look, I just found a place, we'd escape Every one of us, I was kinda late, I just made it off the struggle bus Walking by the fake, cause I know it's right in front of us Gotta focus on what's great Ladies and gentlemen, Steph Hardy is on the air Had to drop a couple bars just to make you all aware So, sit back, relax, enjoy the show You know I go by Joe or the rest of the Hey y'all, welcome to another new episode of The Hardy Wrestling Podcast With your girl Stephanie Hardy I've got a really big news and gossipish segment for y'all today And of course, I have your weekly recap featuring Raw AEW, NXT, and SmackDown. So sit back, relax, and listen to your favorite chill, positive, and passionate show, The Hardy Wrestling Podcast. In this news and gossipish, I'm going to talk about a whole lot that took place this week, even stuff that happened even as even as late as last night when we were watching SmackDown on Fox. So there was this point where it was on a commercial. And I remember live tweeting on the Hardy Wrestling Podcast Twitter page at Hardy WrestlePod. Please follow um if you haven't already. And I was live tweeting during SmackDown and right before the Street Profits were getting ready to face off against the Dirty Dogs, um, news broke out of WWE NXT releases. And it was kind of crappy because some of these people were actually going on to be featured on 205 Live later on in the night. And they were all getting released, you know, out of nowhere. And it was being reported on by Sean Ross Sapp um, from Fightful.com because he's like a really dependable insider most of the time. And he's usually the one to break this news. So he broke news of this, of these releases. Um... And it was kind of heartbreaking because you're trying to pay attention and have fun with SmackDown. But at the same time, you have the trauma of watching so many people that you love um, on NXT get released as well. So I'm going to list them all right here, right now. Um, Bobby Fish, according to Get the Tables, um, Bobby Fish got released. Um, Former NXT North American champion Bronson Reed got released. Jake Atlas, who... Um, we came to know more about as he participated in a cruiserweight tournament um, last, I believe, last year. Um, he got released. Ari Sterling, who was set to face off um, in a match, I think, last night or even last week when he had to face Leon Ruff, he got released. Kona Reeves, who um, had been with NXT for like a long time, who had been on TV but then not been on TV, you know, he was off and on with his booking. He got released. 
former NXT North American champion Leon Ruff, who is also engaged to um, referee Aja Smith, he got released. And that was surprising and heartbreaking to me because he had um, a really good, like low-key, the feud that he had with Isaiah Swerve Scott was really good. Um, once they did give attention to it, but I couldn't believe that he got released and I'm really sad about it, but, um, he thanked everyone on Instagram, you know, for everybody supporting him and everything and how glad he was, you know, to work with a lot of people that he had admired and looked up to for a long time and having to go to work with his best friend, um, and his fiance. So he was really graceful about it. Um, Stefan Smith, who I believe is a referee, he got released. Tyler Rust, who is who was newly put into the Diamond Mine faction along with Roderick, um, along with Roderick and um Mike Malcolm Bivens, he got released. And that was really surprising because he was just it they like that faction just made their debut and now he's gone. And that was really shocking. Um, Zechariah Smith was released. Asher Hale was released. Giant, Giant Zangier was released. And the worst of all that actually, um, impacted one of my sisters with women's wrestling talk, Ella Jackson, she was devastated at the release of Mercedes Martinez, who we came to know through the May Young classic, um, the first time, the first go round. And then she left to go back to the independence. And then she came back to NXT and then was also a part of Retribution and went back to NXT and had a little bit of a few going on with a couple of people, including Zia Lee and also um, the champion Raquel Gonzalez. And it was so heartbreaking because she had actually she was making waves in her own way. And so to see her get released was very shocking. It was really sad to my colleague. And it was just heart-wrenching to see all these people get let go like it's never good to watch someone lose their job ever um I know I've been in that situation before where I've lost a job or where I've quit a job and didn't know what was coming next but still having the faith to look forward and knowing that something else you know would be would take its place but seeing as it's only been you know less than 24 hours it was really hard. And then being a fan um, from my perspective and watching all of that happen while SmackDown was going on, I know a lot of people on Twitter were saying that they were just going to turn SmackDown off because they were bummed out about it. I didn't, but I totally respect anybody who felt that way. And then in the same week, you know, you saw Bray Wyatt released, like within the same span of a few days, you saw Bray Wyatt released, which was really shocking. Um, because he was one of the most successful stars that NXT created. And then for him to go on the main roster and have his break, his Wyatt family faction with um, Eric Redbeard now and the late Brody Lee and Braun Strowman. It's just really shocking because most of them made waves in so many different ways, shape or form. And now they're all gone. And it's just... It's a lot. And I'm and I know that and a part of me wants to believe that with Bray Wyatt, he had been going through a lot emotionally and mentally over the past couple of months, like between him and his mental health and then the death of Brody Lee, who he worked with, who he worked so closely with for so long. Um, 
the last time we saw him, you know, in a match on television was at WrestleMania um, in night two, I believe. And he was having his match with Randy Orton and then Alexa Bliss turned on him. And she's basically been keeping the whole um, darkness thing going. But at the same time, you know, with the playground and everything, and you were wondering when he was going to possibly come back and, you know, make Alexa pay. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen right now. And it seemed like when WWE, you know, released their statement about him leaving, they were saying, oh, well, we've come to terms with this and we wish him the best. Um, So it was almost as if they both had to come to an amicable agreement. And I'm hoping there was nothing negative involved with it. And I'm hoping um, the best for Bray Wyatt and his health, you know, going forward. And if he chooses to go anywhere else, then that's perfectly fine. But then if he doesn't and he chooses to sit his tail down for a minute, you know, and just just chill out then that's fine too because he has children he has you know Jojo who's his significant other maybe wife I don't know they haven't really confirmed that and it's not really our business and then with Ric Flair even asking for his release because creatively he wasn't sure where his character or even Charlotte Flair's character was going his daughter like there's so many people leaving and being let go and it's just so scary like it's really scary it's almost like WWE is turning into a revolving door it's almost like they're turning into Grey's Anatomy at this point where there's so many people who have been with that show for so long and then they leave after a certain point like that's what WWE is slowly but surely turning into it's like every other month it's like every three months or so there's a whole crop of people whom you were attached to or not fully attached to getting released and it's heartbreaking it's really really heartbreaking and you almost and it's scary because as a fan you're at this point where you're still trying to enjoy what they have left but then you're scared that one day or another they your favorite might be on a chopping block and oh it was so sad last night it really was sad last night and I'm hoping that every other fan that went through that entire situation um is still, you know, trying to process it and chill and just take a breather um, and just relax. So that was a lot. And then also speaking to that, you had um, Cassie Lee, who's formerly known as Peyton Royce um, from the Iconics tag team. She talked a little bit this week about how she felt like the Iconics breaking up was her fault. Um, she said, on dirt sheet radio she said i don't think i've ever told anyone this and i hope jess aka billy k isn't upset with me saying this um she said i wanted to go single there were things i wanted to take off my bucket list as a singles competitor so many people said that was stupid for them to break you up why did they break you up i feel like it's my fault because i wanted to push myself and see what i was capable of that might have been the worst decision that i made and it's so sad that she's taking the blame, so much of the blame on herself for that. Because um, when the Iconics broke up, we were all sort of scratching our heads like, bro, what's the point in this? Like, why? Because um, at the time, the women's tag team division was already kind of in flux. And we were all trying to figure out like, oh my God, like, why are they doing this? You know, when they're an actual tag team that came in as a tag team together, right? They were best friends and they dreamed of coming to WWE. 
And they did that and won the tag titles and they could have had another chance at the tag titles. But, you know, they went solo and broke them up. And it broke a lot of people's hearts because we felt like, oh, well, them together was just like the best thing because together they were just comedy. And then they had, you know, great chemistry as a tag team and all that. So we were just wondering why. And then when they were separated, Billy Kay was on SmackDown and she was doing, you know, her little shtick with the whole resume thing and trying to, you know, get put on in another tag team with somebody else. And also, you know, there was a point where she was following Carmella around even at WrestleMania, but then nothing came of that. And then they got, then they got released. And even Peyton Royce had a great, the last match we saw her in was up against Asuka on Raw. And she wound up doing, you know, a fantastic job with that, but nothing came of it. And they got released and it was just really heartbreaking. So to know now that Peyton slash Cassie Lee was you know, trying to sort of see what she could do as a singles competitor, you know, knowing that now I like, there's no blame in that, but it felt like we were all sort of blaming, Oh, it's Vince's fault. It's Vince's fault and all this other stuff. Um, which is something that the internet wrestling community does have a tendency to do when something happens that we don't like, we feel like it's solely his responsibility, but we also have to understand that even though he ultimately has to make the decisions, Um, I feel like there's also another tier of it that we're not understanding that who's actually in charge of it may not necessarily be all him. So um, I hate that Cassie is taking the blame for it solely, but at the same time, you know, it's really sad how that happened and it's sad they're not there anymore. But I'm wishing the best for them, you know, in whatever it is that they choose to do, whether it be going to AEW or Ring of Honor or Impact or wherever. I just hope the best for her and her best friend and whatever happens with that. But it seems like we're always quick to jump to whose fault it is without really taking into account how it's really affecting people emotionally. So um, it's just really sad. Also, in some other sad news, um, beautiful Bobby Eaton, who was a pro wrestling star um, a long time ago, passed away of unknown causes. And I found out that he was actually um, from Huntsville, Alabama, which is north of which is way in the northern part of Alabama. So it's far away from me here in Birmingham. But he was 62 years old and it was announced by his sister, Debbie Eaton Lewis, um, on Facebook. She said, I never wanted to have to post this, but my little brother, beautiful Bobby Eaton, passed away last night. When I find out all the details, I will post them. Bobby was the kindest, loving person you would ever meet. I loved him so much and I'm going to miss him. And according to other wrestling news sites, he was hospitalized after a bad fall in July. But it's unknown whether that event had anything to do with his death. So he was a star in WCW and NWA. Um, and even the NWA released a statement about it saying they're saddened to hear about the passing of the legendary, beautiful Bobby Eaton and that we send our love to his friends and family and his impact and legacy will always be remembered. So other people also paid tribute to him from the cauliflower alley club and wrestler Frankie Kazarian paid tribute to him by saying, a friend and an absolute master of the craft of professional wrestling, a man whom I hope will get the recognition that he undeniably um, 
deserves. It was my pleasure to know, watch, and learn from you. Our industry is a better is a better place because of you. Godspeed, sir. So we send um, special healing and peace to his family at this tough time and anyone else who worked with him in wrestling. Um, we send special healing and blessings to them at this hard time. Um, something that happened that's a little bit happier is the fact that Seamus got engaged to his girlfriend. And he talked about it a little bit on um, Ryan Satin's podcast called Out of Character. So congratulations to him being engaged. Um, and WCW, well, not WCW. Um, what am I thinking? John Cena <laughs> had um, a lot to say about WWE's future in an interview with USA Today. Since this week was the week that the movie The Suicide Squad came out, and I actually did see it on HBO Max. It's pretty amazing. It's gory, but it's really amazing, though. He did a really good job, and I feel like also last weekend, um, I saw him in Fast 9, and he did a really good job as Jacob Toretto as well. And I'm sitting here just, you know, as I'm watching him be a bad guy in both of these movies, I'm sitting here trying to figure out why is it that WWE would never let him turn heel? Because in these movies, he was such a bad guy. And I'm just sitting here like, bro, WWE really, you know, missed an opportunity with him being a bad guy. Like, because in these movies, he did a heck of a job. I definitely recommend you watch Fast 9 and The Suicide Squad to see what I'm talking about. I won't get into it because I'm not going to spoil nothing for nobody. But he did a really good job. So in this, in this interview with USA Today, um, while he was promoting the, the Suicide Squad movie, he said, Man, I wish I was, I wish there was some sort of fountain of youth where I could be a full-time contributor. Um, he was talking to Brian Truitt. He said, the longer they continue to bet on an aging prospect, that makes WWE's future a little bit less stable. And this caused a lot of controversy online with him saying that it was making WWE's future a little bit less stable because it's kind of true because when it comes to their larger events, especially the big four pay-per-views, they tend to depend a lot on older stars um more nostalgic stars and they send it and they tend to take the spotlight away from people who are there more consistently on a more consistent basis and i think one time mustafa ali actually made reference to it during an episode of raw talk he was talking about how he respects how a lot of people like goldberg and like brock lesnar and stuff like that you know pave the way you know, but when are you going to let me walk on that path that you paved? And it's true because as much as we love nostalgia, I love nostalgia too. Um, I'm the person who buys, you know, Toon Squad clothes and, you know, Space Jam clothes and stuff like that. Because I'm a child of the 90s and all the other stuff and Disney stuff for my childhood. I love nostalgia. But at what point does, um, depending on nostalgia, sort of cut WWE's future off at the knees? Because even a few weeks ago, when we were talking about the Rolling Loud Festival and how they should have and how a lot of fans felt like they should have done. They should have gotten somebody to be on the Rolling Loud Festival that a lot of people knew, like your Stone Cold Steve Austin's or The Rock or Jeff Hardy and stuff like that. Um, it's just them depending so much on these older stars 
is going to cut off their newer stars at the knees because if they had have put those people out there at Rolling Loud, Bianca Belair, who's the SmackDown Women's Champion, would not have been exposed to the Rolling Loud crowd. Neither would have the Street Profits either, and neither would have Carmella. So, you know, WWE is trying their best to put newer stars out there on the forefront while also still, you know, catering to their casual fans who know who knows who Goldberg is and all that other stuff. But you can't just solely depend on these people when they have other ventures and other things that they want to do. Like John Cena, he's gone full basically Hollywood now at this point, right? And, you know, there has been an uptake in their ratings, you know, since John Cena has come back. But you can't solely depend on him all the time. You know, you know, you they need to do a better job of making stars out of the people who they consistently have. And I totally kind of and I agree with John Cena and what he's saying, even though even though from a fan standpoint, I love the nostalgia part. But there's still the other part of them taking opportunities away from newer stars who could benefit from that star power. So, yeah, um, John Cena has a point there. Also in the news, we have Jordan Grace, um, who wrestles for Impact Wrestling. She is a um, knockout. And she talked a little bit about how she's disappointed with the lack of opportunities for women with the Forbidden Door. So with this with this forbidden door relationship between Impact, AEW, and New Japan, um, Jordan Grace was in an interview with TalkSport um, and Alex McCarthy, and she expressed her disappointment with the lack of opportunities. She said, honestly, I was, I was super excited when it first got announced, but as the months have dragged on with only a few things happening and they've never happened for the women, I've been more disappointed than anything else recently. Because I thought the Forbidden Door was definitely going to wide op- was going to be wide open instead of having to knock and only a few people get in at a time. But, you know, that's the nature of the business, right? Um, she also had this to say about um, so few females having passed through the door by citing backstage and interpromotional politics. She said, I'm sure it has to do with politics and who can go over there, etc. You know how it is. People don't want their people to lose, so on and so forth. So Jordan Grace has had a lot of success within the past year. She was a knockouts champion in January of last year by defeating Taya Valkyrie, who now goes by Frankie Monet in NXT. And she went on to lose um, the title to Deanna Perazzo um, at Slammiversary later in last year, who has gone on to become one of the longest reigning champions they've ever had. And Jordan Grace went on to also tag team with Jazz as well, who was going on her farewell tour. And shout out to her because I actually met her at the Belladonna division um, a couple months ago. So she has every right to feel this way because it seems as if the Forbidden Door is only benefiting one person. And that's AEW and not really benefiting Impact um, and not really benefiting New Japan as a whole. And a lot of people are talking about that within the wrestling community because it seems like there's a lot of politics that's being involved where it seems like AEW is only doing things to favor, you know, a group of or a cluster of people like the elite. And from the outside looking in, I can see how a lot of people would say that. So there's also been a lot of controversy with AEW this week from um, Alfred Konua, who writes articles for Forbes magazine um, for wrestling. 
events and him talk and being in a video for his show and his podcast talking about how AEW doesn't have a lot of diversity um, and they're not putting a lot of emphasis on a lot of their wrestlers of color. Um, and it's just, and I can't even argue with that, but at the same time, all the favoritism has a tendency to sort of be a little bit blatant towards, um, Kenny Omega and the crew. And it's just not fair because you're cutting off all these new people who are coming and wanting to do more, you know, with AEW and sort of get their foot in the door and you know make a name for themselves but it seems like they're being stopped at a certain point because they're not friends with people who are part of the elite and that's not fair so yeah that's a little bit and the fact that there aren't that many opportunities in the forbidden or for the women when there could be is also disappointing as well because you have people like Jordan Grace and you have people like Deanna Perazzo who could go up against somebody like Ty Conti, who has been rising, you know, through the ranks of AEW and getting better. And you could have someone like Britt Baker go up against someone like Jordan Grace. Like, why aren't you doing more with that? You could have somebody like Tasha Steeles, you know, fight um, Big Swole again, even though they did just fight each other at Jobber Slam. And shout out to them because I was a sponsor of that show. You could have more matchups like that but that's not happening and there has to be you know and if there's going to be equal opportunity there needs to be equal opportunity for forbidden door opportunities for women as well so I get exactly where she's coming from um also in the news there were of course there have been rumors about CM Punk and Daniel Bryan joining AEW and signing with them but nothing has been confirmed with them at this point it's like they're sort of watching everybody else, you know, set themselves on fire um, um, to say that this is happening. But they themselves have yet to say anything about it. So um, on Inside the Ropes Wrestling in an interview with Kenny McIntosh, Chris Jericho had something to say about CM Punk signing with the company. He said, well, I mean, the short answer is, of course, you know, how cool, you know, that would be. And he said, I mean, he's one of the few guys out there that has this mythology surrounding him because he hasn't wrestled in so long. And then he proceeded to, you know, take CM Punk out of the conversation and say, you know, Sting is with us now. Edge is back in WWE. Christian is with us. But you take, other than that, guys who haven't wrestled for a long time, he's probably at the top of the list unless you're going to throw Steve Austin in there and you know Steve's not going to come back. Now, CM Punk has not wrestled since 2014. Um at the Royal Rumble in WWE and he left after that and so he's 42 years old now um a lot of people are questioning whether or not he would still have anything to offer in terms of being an in-ring competitor but a lot of people would be really excited to see him simply because CM Punk still has a fan base um I know this because every now and again when something random happens on a wrestling show they'll start chanting CM Punk CM Punk and I also personally know somebody, a.k.a. my Boothang boyfriend, who would be so excited if CM Punk came back because that's his eternal fave. But, you know, we just have to see, you know, where it goes. Because, like I said, CM Punk nor Daniel Bryan have said anything about being all elite at this point. So if they did a surprise thing and made us all scream and pop, that would be cool. Or if Daniel Bryan just decided to sign a new contract with WWE and we just don't know anything about it, then that would be fine too. 
Um, but CM Punk talks so much stuff about how much he doesn't want to do have anything to do with wrestling anymore. So it's just, I don't know. Um, it's a wait and see thing. So yeah, we just got to chill out and just wait. Um, also in the news, we have Pete Dunne and his WWE contract being up in the air right now. So according to Fightful Select, Pete Dunne's contract is set to expire sometime after SummerSlam weekend, which is in two weeks now. Um, and it was also previously reported by Wrestling Inc.'s Raj Geary that Adam Cole's contract was set to expire after SummerSlam, which a lot of people are thinking that that's the reason why NXT is going through a free-for-all right now with everybody getting fired, because there's the rumor that once you fire people, it means that they're trying to make room and make negotiations for somebody else's contract to give them more money. And I'm not sure because I'm not a business person. I don't know. I'm not behind the scenes. I don't know how that works, but I would hope that all these people getting fired wouldn't be the scapegoat for trying to keep one person because that would suck um so pete dunn um has been under nxt since 2016 and it's just he's been you know in the middle of this ongoing feud because he's now a part of this faction with i believe is oni lorkin um he's a he's a part of the stable with oni lorkin and ridge holland who made his return um from his injury that he dealt with last year and there's really nothing clear going on with him right now but I would hope that they would do whatever they can to keep him um either with NXT or bump him up to the main roster because he talks so much stuff about being you know the best technical wrestler in all of WWE you know bring him up to the main roster and let him have a match against Cesaro you know that would be killer so I mean I don't know I'm hoping that he's not leaving but if he is leaving, then Godspeed. I hope he does great things wherever else he decides to go. So I don't know. And with Adam Cole's contract, a lot of people are talking lots of stuff about that too. I hope he stays and go up to the main roster after he fights um, Kyle O'Reilly again. Like if they fight each other again, which is looking like they're going to do an NXT TakeOver 36, let this be the last time and let Adam Cole go up to the main roster and challenge somebody there. Because I feel like him on Raw or him on SmackDown, it's just that's just straight money. Like, it's just money wherever he decides to go. As long as he doesn't get buried, you know, on the main roster like they tend to do a lot of NXT prospects, well, NXT people that come up or whatever, then that's fine. Adam Cole just has the attitude and he has the wrestling capability. He has the charisma. He has it all to succeed in the main roster. So I want to see him go up to the main roster and feud with Roman Reigns or feud with a Bobby Lashley. But the X factor in there is always Big E because he has some money in the bank contract. But either way, I want great things for Adam Cole to happen in WWE. But if he also decides to go to AEW, then that's fine too. But, you know, because he has friends over there as well as um, his girlfriend, um, Britt Baker, the AEW Women's Champion over there too. So, I mean, if he goes over there and challenges Kenny Omega for the AEW Championship and wins it, then him and Britt Baker would be champion together. And that would raise my berries because I love watching couples do cute things. So, yeah. And lastly in the news, I want to send the congratulations to... Olympic gold medalist um, Gable Steveson 
and him winning gold in the 125 kilogram class in wrestling. Um, he's from Apple Valley, Minnesota. He's 21 years old. He's a heavyweight, um, freestyle, um, and fall style wrestler. And he won gold and he wound up beating, um, Georgia's Gino, um, Petria Shively, um, eight to five with time running out. Um, ESPN said that he remained composed and took control against his more experienced opponent, scoring on a spin behind takedown with 10 seconds remaining, and then another with less than a second remaining to win the men's freestyle 125 kilogram class um, final 10 to 8 on Friday night. And he said that he was in shock. He looked at the clock and it was like 0.3. And I was like, ain't no way. And then my head, I was just flushed with everything. And I was like, wow. So um, he has aspirations to join WWE. Um, So at one point, at some point, you know, if that happens, that would be really cool. He's really young. So he has so much to offer if WWE decides to sign him to the Performance Center. So congratulations to him. He won um, $250,000. So he said that with his money, he plans on buying his mom a um, Louis Vuitton purse because she's she's absolutely earned it. And because and he's also going to take his family out to eat. And he also talked about um, knowing um, GOAT manager Paul Heyman since he was in junior high school. And he was photographed at WrestleMania with Paul Heyman and with Roman Reigns. So who's to say? Maybe at some point he could join the um, bloodline. You never know. Um, So that would be really cool. So congratulations to Gable. And I also want to send a special congratulations to Tamira Mensa Stark, who, well, not Stark, Stock, who won the women's, who won women's wrestling gold for the United States. And she became the first black American woman to win wrestling gold in the 68 kilogram freestyle final um she defeated number two seed blessing obora dudu from nigeria and she is uh and she's of ghanaian descent even though she represented the united states her father is from ghana and she dedicated her victory to him because he passed away years ago and she's really um excited about her um squared circle ambitions she has also mentioned that she wants to join the wwe as well so that would be really cool as well and that was really great for women's wrestling as a whole the fact that her and blessing both representing um their Ghanaian and Nigerian descents in the Olympics as well you know just seeing black women collectively as a whole you know representing women's wrestling in the Olympics you know also speaking to Sasha and Bianca and them facing off against each other at SummerSlam again you know, after their historic matchup main eventing WrestleMania, it's just really cool stuff going on. So congratulations to wrestling, you know, being represented in the um, Olympics like this. So that's it for news and gossip And that's a whole lot that happened. So yeah. And now I'm going to talk more about um, what happened in wrestling this week with Raw, NXT and SmackDown and a little bit of AEW thrown in there as well. So in this weekly recap, I'm going to talk about Raw first. So, um, Raw 
Well, I'm going to start with talking about the women first. And the first um, piece of women's action we got on Raw was Rhea Ripley versus Nia Jax. And this was really different because we had never really seen these two sort of face off in singles competition before. And then Nia Jax has been wearing her natural hair as of late. And it's really cute. And I love it. But she keeps coming out with Shayna Baszler. And I thought for sure they had broken up. And then somehow or another they get glued back together again. And now they're breaking up again. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about what happened between them but it was just a little bit irritating for me to see them together yet again like can we do something else with Shayna in which she's wrecking people yet again like I'm ready to see her wreck people as a singles competitor I'm tired like her and Nia just need to stop being a team either way Nia and Rhea Ripley were aggressive from the opening bell um Rhea, Rhea tried to hit Nia with a headbutt but then um, Naya protected herself with her head and sent the damage, um, and sent the damage right back to Ripley. And then she crushed, then this was a really, really scary spot of the match. She crushed Rhea's head against the ring post by throwing her whole body into her. And then she, when she tried to do it again, Rhea Ripley moved out the way. I thought Rhea was injured here because having someone run their entire body, like their entire upper body into your, into your head and a ring pose was just a whole lot. But you know, I'm pretty, it was okay. Cause they kept going. So Rhea took out Shayna Baszler at ringside when Nia um, was avoiding a senton from the apron. Then Nia took advantage of the situation and sent her back into the barricade as they went to commercial. And they came back um and Rhea nailed Nia with a drop with a missile drop kick and encountered a power bomb then Shayna tried to distract Ripley but then it ended up backfiring when she rolled Nia Jax up for the win and then Nia and Shayna began arguing after the match and then Shayna left while Rhea Ripley came back in and then took Nia Jax out with the riptide so yeah i'm just ready to see naya and Shayna just break up for real for real this time um i'm glad that Rhea is fighting new opponents um but also in the midst of her fighting new opponents is sort of good it's going to make her look stronger as she prepares to go into her triple threat match for the raw women's championship against nikki ash and um charlotte flair so I'm really happy for that match. Um, also in the women's division, you had Dewdrop, aka Piper Niven, versus Tamina. So Natalia's out with her injury that she suffered on Raw, um, I believe, last week. So Tamina has been going on both shows and fighting in singles competition while still holding both of the tag titles. Um, so they're still champions, so they're not taking that off of them. So Tamina had to fight Dewdrop. So they're still hinting at the idea that maybe Dewdrop might be about to like break free from Eva Marie yet again. Um, because every time they interview her backstage, Eva always interrupts her and makes it seem like everything she's saying is unimportant. So that's happening. So, um, Eva Marie was in her corner and she was telling Dewdrop a lot of what to do in the match, but it seemed like Dewdrop had it handled on her own. So, um, they both collided into each other a couple of times before Tamina took Dewdrop off of her feet. Um, Eva got on the apron to try to distract Tamina and even prevent her from hitting a superfly splash. 
and then Dewdrop ran her into the ring post and then hit an elbow drop for a two count. And this is where I got kind of sad for them because as they were trying to put on a good match, the crowd in Chicago was chanting CM Punk. And I feel like that's become like the norm for when you're discontented with a match is that you either get bored, do something else, or you chant CM Punk. And I think that's kind of disrespectful, but whatever. Um, fans are going to fan. So Eva tried to give Dewdrop a lot of instructions, like I said earlier. But Tamina was able to avoid the crossbody and then hit a Samoan drop for the win. And then after the match was over and um, Eva Marie was trying to check on Dewdrop to see if she was okay or whatever, Alexa Bliss... Um, taunted Eva Marie from the Titantron after it was over so it's looking like Alexa Bliss is um even in light of the whole Bray Wyatt situation Alexa Bliss is going to keep her dark persona as of now and she's going to keep antagonizing Eva Marie I guess until they have a match together but something that I do find interesting is the fact that on social media a lot of people are noticing that Eva Marie is not garnering the type of heat that she garnered like earlier, like years ago. Like when she was Miss All Red Everything and Total Divas was a thing um, before they decided to change um, the entire women's division to be just the women's division and not the Divas division. Um, she would always elicit a lot of heat because everybody hated her and just thought that she was just there for the fame and they would boo the crap out of her, right? But now it just seems like whenever she comes out with Dewdrop, it's like, lukewarm nobody it's like nobody really cares that much so I don't I don't know what what they're planning to do with her as a character but I do know that I am looking forward to the day that Dewdrop you know breaks free of her and becomes a star in her own right and hopefully becomes Piper Niven and not Dewdrop anymore so also in the women's division the main event was Nikki Ash versus Charlotte Flair um in a no holds barred match so they were looking to prove themselves nikki was trying to show that she could very well beat charlotte flair after charlotte flair beat her um last week so um a lot of this match seemed like they were playing it as if it was one-sided because they were making it seem like nikki was just going up against someone who's just way more experienced than her and just better than her and better suited to be champion than her and charlotte flair which kept irritating me but you know it's whatever um the queen um proceeded to go at nikki ash hard right out of the gate and she slammed nikki's face into the middle turnbuckle before throwing her out of the ring um, the crowd were the crowd began to chant for tables, and then Charlotte basically pulled one out and from the bottom of the ring and then leaned it, leaned it against the ring, and he should continue to beat up on Nikki and speared her through the barricade, which made me even more irritated because I'm sitting here like Nikki, at what point are you going to rise up and kick this woman's butt? But whatever. Um, then we returned from commercial to see Charlotte putting Nikki on the top turnbuckle for a superplex. But then um, Nikki fought her off, but then missed her crossbody. Then Charlotte nailed her with a big boot, like she tends to do, and intentionally stopped the referee from counting the pin by pulling her up by her hair and just saying, no, I'm not done. And then she did it a second time just to prove another point. 
Then Nikki drop kicked a chair into um, Charlotte's face and then hit a DDT on the floor at ringside. Then Charlotte caught her opponent, you know, coming off of the barricade and then power bombed her through the announce table. Then Charlotte tried to cover her with one foot, but then and tried to step on her, which is so disrespectful, like mad disrespectful. But Nikki kicked out and then she avoided a charging Charlotte and then sent and then she sent herself through the table. And I was like, ah, um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that way more than I probably should have. And um, she sent her she sent herself through the table that was set up in the corner. And then somehow, as Nikki covered her after that incident, Charlotte kicked out it, too. Then Nikki grabbed her between the ropes and hit a twisting neck breaker to win the match and basically show that she can basically, you know, step toe to toe with Charlotte Flair. I was so glad that she won um, this match just to prove to Charlotte that she just can't run over folks. And and also to prove that her win with the Money in the Bank briefcase wasn't a fluke because earlier Charlotte was doing a um a promo where she was talking about how she has to be literally insane to let you know Nikki Ash you know get to her just because she cashed in the Money in the Bank briefcase and Charlotte proceeded to talk about how she's sick of being cashed in on because she has been cashed in on three times when it can when it comes to the women's Money in the Bank briefcase she got cashed in on by Carmella, by Bailey, and now Nikki Ash. And she was talking, and then she made this statement about um, Simone Biles being the GOAT and claiming um, mental health or whatever. And this was the first of two times somebody on a wrestling programming um, mentioned Simone Biles and her talking about her mental health and having the twisties in terms of pulling out of the Olympics and then of course coming back in to um win the bronze medal for the U.S. and the second person was um Max Caster I feel like whoever wrote those promos for them or whoever and since Max Caster was probably responsible for writing that um godforsaken rap that he had where he mentioned Simone Biles and then the, the the vaginal health of a of a 19 year old woman who came out there with the varsity blondes whose name I can't recall right now um that's not cool and also mentioning a rape scandal and I'm sorry um if this is triggering someone but that's not cool we need to stop making fun of people's trauma for the sake of um viewership um what Simone Biles was going through is definitely was definitely like her she was well within her rights to pull out of the olympics because she is the greatest of all time she pulls off death defying gymnastic stunts that so many of us cannot do and it takes years of training to do it and if she knows that she was out and if she was out of out of the game her head wasn't in the game she had every right to pull herself out of it and if we're making fun of it then that just shows how how much work we have to do to destigmatize mental health and athletes prioritizing their mental health as well because at the end of the day these people are human beings and we can't just expect them to just perform 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 for us all of the time like they're not machines they're humans just like we can take an off day or a mental health day when we don't feel like going to work or we don't feel like dealing with people or whatever or people have to take medicine for whatever type of mental health stuff that they have that they have going on then so can athletes and we really need to stop making fun of them for it also we need to stop sexually check sexually shaming women for having vaginas and for so many different things that women biologically have because at the end of the day, somebody somewhere needs that. 
So at the end of the day, you just need to shut up and stop making ugly comments about women like that. Because it doesn't make you cute. It doesn't make you edgy. It just makes you seem like a gross person who doesn't get anything. And that's my perspective on that. So going to the men, <laughs> not well, not even just talking about the men, but back to the women as well. Corey Graves made a reference to the WAP song by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion by asking by asking Byron if he knew what a bottom feeder was. And I thought that was hysterical <laughs> because they showed the picture of Megan Thee Stallion and Bianca Belair at Lollapalooza last weekend. And he and they showed those pictures on Raw and then they and Corey really asked Byron Saxon if he knew what a bottom feeder was. And I'm just like, oh, that was funny so the show raw basically started with bobby lashley the wwe champion and mvp coming out to address a couple of things um before goldberg showed up to respond because lashley doesn't want to be bothered with goldberg but goldberg clearly wants to be bothered with bobby lashley because it's a summer slam time and old people have to come back so Um, MVP said that Goldberg is an icon who can still beat most men, but he said that the almighty is not like most men. And then Bobby mugged for the camera while MVP asked if Goldberg wants to be remembered as a champion or a casualty. And then this is where Goldberg came out to give his response. And he said, if anybody should be worried is Bobby Lashley. And he told um, Bobby that he looked scared. But if you looked at the way that Lashley was staring at him, Lashley looked number one unbothered and number two like he could kill this man in his sleep so yeah Lashley just stared at him um as he talked about what makes him Goldberg and then he once again declared himself to be next before walking away and then after Goldberg had left Bobby Lashley got in Goldberg's um son's face um who was seriously grown up like puberty is insane because the last time we saw him, he was like short and had short hair. And he was kind of a chunky boy. And now he's all tall and lanky, looking like he could be a member of a boy band. Like, it's crazy. Really, really crazy. Um, we're getting old. Um, <laughs> then MVP talked some trash to his son before Goldberg came right back out and hit him with a spear. And him and his son basically walked back up the ramp and went backstage. So there's that. If there's any way to get a rise out of people or a man or a woman, talk about their family or get in their family's face. It's just one of those things that just become become a part of wrestling canon. Don't talk about family. It's all about family. Um, then Veer and Shanky had an um, a handicap match against Drew McIntyre. So Drew McIntyre is still mad at him uh, at um, Veer and Shanky and Jinder Mahal for getting in his business, especially keeping him from winning the Money in the Bank briefcase um, a couple weeks ago. So Drew McIntyre, you know, came out there and threatened them with his sword that he's now named Angela after his late mother. Um, respect and peace to him going through that situation because that's not easy. Um, so Drew McIntyre backed Veer into the corner and unloaded on him, but then Shanky ended up tagging in and they ran McIntyre into the ring post together. And then Jinder Mahal's sidekicks kept the upper hand for a couple of minutes before McIntyre began to build up a head of steam. And then Veer took the brunt of his offense, which is only fair after Shanky had to take a dozen few shots from a steel chair. 
Then Jinder Mahal ended up causing a DQ when he attacked Drew with a chair. And then Veer and Shaky each grabbed their own chair. So McIntyre grabbed his sword. So, <laughs> I mean, which one is going to win? A chair or a sword? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Then he knocked the chair from um, Jinder's hand and then knocked Veer out of the ring. And then Shanky put his chair down and got out of the ring as Drew was about to chase him with the sword with Angela. So, yeah, um, I love that the sword has a name now and it's named after somebody who means a lot to Drew. Um, because I like it when people name objects. It just makes it fun for me in my inner child mind. Like, yeah, it's Angela the sword. It's Francesca the trombone like I just like stuff like that um so maybe and everybody was really you know happy about it and gave him a baby face cheer which I'm glad that he's getting in the midst of you know everything that happened last year so that's cool um so yeah I know that eventually him and gender will have a one-on-one match and that'll be cool because it'll be like a three-man band reunion without Heath Slater which makes me sad but this is where we're at in wrestling um, then Mace and T-Bar had a um, tag team match versus their former leader Mustafa Ali and Mansoor who's just really happy to be there he just whenever I see Mansoor he makes me so happy and he just gives me like early Rocky Maivia vibes like when The Rock was like a baby face at first and everybody didn't like him but he was just really happy and honored to be there like yay look at me so that's just who Mansoor reminds me of so Mustafa came out to the Chicago crowd and everybody was happy to see him because that's where he's originally from. That's his hometown. Um, so um, Mason T-Bar immediately asserted their dominance and took out both men. Ali was wiped out at ringside and Mansoor was hit with a flying elbow drop from the top rope. Then Mustafa recovered and tagged in um, on his former um, stable mates for retribution. Then he used his speed and agility to knock Mace off the apron and T-Bar out of the ring. And he and Mansoor hit, hit simultaneous suicide dives on opposite sides of the ring, which looked really cool. Because I'm like, yes. But then for some reason, Mustafa looked like he was mad about it. And I'm sitting here like, don't be mad because Mansoor is jumping with you. Be happy because you two had that moment together. But, you know, Mustafa has to be a grump. So it's whatever. Then T-Bar um, kicked Mansoor into the ropes and caused um, Mustafa to lose his balance, which allowed T-Bar and Mace to score the win. And this made me sad because I'm just like, how come Mustafa couldn't win in Chicago? Let him have his moment. But whatever. They're not letting people have their moment. So, <laughs> um... I like that that Mustafa and Mansoor are a tag team together. It's sort of revitalizing Mustafa after Retribution's been torn apart and he's just by himself and being angry. So I love watching Mansoor hug Mustafa and Mustafa's just like, no, like (laughs) it's just really cute. Like their dynamic is cute to me and I want to see them go after the Raw Tag Team titles at some point. But then that's going to be one-sided because AJ Styles has Omos and yeah, that's a seven-foot man. So I don't know how that's going to go. Then Damian Priest and Ricochet had a tag team match against John Morrison and Sheamus because of course the Miz is still in his wheelchair. So um Damian Priest was on an episode of Miz TV before this match. And something that I thought was really interesting as I was watching it was the fact that 
the Miz and John Morrison, you know, have been joking around with their dripsticks and stuff, which I think is funny. But at the same time, I hated how they've basically been beefing with Damian Priest ever, ever since him, um, ever since they've been doing their feud, you know, with Damian and Bad Bunny and stuff since WrestleMania. And it's like August now and they're still in each other's faces. But at the very least, Damian Priest gets to do something new because he wants to fight Sheamus for the United States title, which is great. But then at the same time, if he Damian is beefing with um, Miz and John Morrison and he was and they were jaw jacking at each other back and forth. But Damian Priest got real serious and told and actually and told and told John Morrison that he was nothing more than the Miz's sidekick and that the Miz was nothing more than a leech, you know, who was leeching off of the talent of people who are like way talented, way more talented than him. And the Miz and John Morrison just kept responding with moist jokes. And that disappointed me because I'm looking like if you guys are going to be heels, how come you guys couldn't get in the face of Damian Priest and do something or say something as serious as what Damian Priest said to y'all about you being a sidekick and you basically being a leech like that was lame like that was really lame to me but the match happened after that so Damian Priest took control really early and hit a unique um leg drop takedown from the middle rope but then Jomo was able to kick out it too then Jomo was able to ground his opponent in a submission but then a few knees to the body helped Damian Priest escape his predicament and he began to unleash a series of kicks and strikes then the Miz um being the x-factor in this match sprayed him with a dripstick so Jomo could take over the match then Damian Priest countered the starship pain but then failed to avoid a standing shooting star press then Jomo looked surprised that um, Damian kicked out of that. So this match was really good, actually, in terms of them going back and forth with each other. And I wouldn't mind seeing Damian Priest and Jomo fight again. So that would be a really cool um, matchup out, like, outside of the realms of tag team stuff. Then um, Damian dropped Jomo on his face before picking him up with a big choke slam to get the win. So Damian Priest has the momentum. Then Sheamus attacked him after the match, but then Ricochet ran down to even the odds and make the save, which made this turn into a tag team match. Then Sheamus spent a long time punishing Ricochet before he started to fight back with elbow strikes to the head. And then after both men made the tag, Priest hit Morrison yet again with his finisher to pin him for the second time. So basically, Damian beat John Morrison twice in the same night in different matches. And Sheamus was out there trying to, you know, get him together or whatever. But then he wound up getting beat up by Ricochet. And I'm glad that Damian has a friend in Ricochet as opposed to just him being by himself since Bad Bunny left and stuff. So that was really cool. So I'm not I'm not mad about any of that. Then Matt Riddle fought Omos. And I feel like that's all I have to um say about that. Yeah, Matt Riddle, he tried to get the upper hand before the bell um by putting Omos in a sleeper hole, but of course Omos easily threw him into the mat and then they took the fight out of the ring and then Omos threw the original bro um, into the timekeeper's area and then he could barely beat the count back into the ring. Then Omos immediately kept knocked him 
um, back down to the floor with a body tackle. Matt Riddle tried to gain momentum with a few knee strikes, which was pretty impressive, but then Omos took him down with one big clothesline to stop him, and then he picked him up for a two-handed choke slam to get the pin. Like I said, any match with Omos is one-sided. It just is. So, moving on. <laughs> Um, Karrion Cross, um, the NXT champion, has been making appearances on Raw and fighting people. So him and Keith Lee had a rematch from last week where Karrion beat him, which made me sad and the internet very angry because they were just like, which basically fueled their thinking into like, oh my God, um, Keith has to be leaving because of this, that, and the third, but nope, he's not. So they had a rematch. They locked up, and let me also say this before I go into the match. Karrion Cross looks so naked without Scarlet, and I'm angry about it. Like, him and Scarlet need to get back together. Like, they need to get back together. Not to say they've broken up, they need to get back together and um, be a thing on Raw because him making his entrance and doing all of the stuff that he would normally do in his entrance without Scarlet is just naked and it's weird so it's like he's doing the raw and all that other stuff fall and pray and she's not there and it's weird so yeah they locked up and then struggled around the ring until um Keith Lee put Cross in a corner and they fought back and then um Karrion Cross fought back and seemed to have an answer for everything that Keith tried. And then I loved how the crowd was chanting NXT, NXT, because yeah, this is totally an NXT throwback. Um, yeah, and I felt like Keith deserved to get revenge for beating Karrion Cross. Um, well, get revenge and beating up Karrion Cross because Karrion Cross beat him for the NXT title, which made me sad, but it's whatever. Then Keith Lee hit a slingshot crossbody from the apron. And Cross took him out of the ring and then suplexed him into the side of the steel steps as the show went to commercial. Then we came back from commercial to see Karrion still dominating, but then Keith Lee started to show some life with a flurry of punches and his signature double chest chop, which just sounds just horrible. Like those two ham hands slapping into your chest. Oh my God, I can't even imagine. Then both men countered each other's finishers before Cross was able to supply the cross jacket submission. But this time, Keith Lee broke free and hit the spirit bomb for the win. And he got such a huge reception when he won. Everybody was cheering for him and everything. And I was like, yay! Keith deserved that moment. He seriously deserved that moment after everything he's been through that we don't we have yet to know about. Um, it was good to see him get this win and to get it in front of a, a crowd like a Chicago crowd was really good that was really happy for him then Reggie and um Akira Tozawa fought each other and Reggie's entrance is really cool because he's able you know to bounce around and flip inside the ring and somebody threw mad shade at Sin Cara for not being able to do the um the the, the trampoline jump in the ring thing and I was just like y'all so wrong for that but Reggie does it every time and it's just really cool like He's talented, even though I was roasting him, you know, at the early part of during the middle of the year last year, because he was always in the women's business and all that. But at least he has him his own business now because he's a 24-7 champion. So, hey, whatever. He got his own business. Um, Tozawa did a ninja pose before Reggie was able to hit a few quick moves on him for the win. So Reggie's still 24-7 champion. That's good. And that's pretty much all that happened on Raw. 
So now we're going to go to um, NXT. Right, so now I'm gonna recap NXT, and this is different because the women really didn't have a match match, but the women had some stuff going on. So I'm gonna first talk about the promo that um Frankie Monet cut backstage with Robert Stone and Jesse Kamea backstage with Mackenzie Mitchell. Um, so Frankie Monet was mad at Robert Stone for throwing the shoe at her and bossing her around or whatever, causing her to lose her match the week before. And so she was basically talking about how, um, the Robert Stone brand needs to be revamped in her image. So it's looking like she's taking over as the leader and Robert Stone doesn't like it. So that's pretty much it on that front. Also with the women, Dakota Kai, cut the promo of her life against Raquel Gonzalez. As you may or may not know, Raquel Gonzalez, the NXT Women's Champion, and Dakota Kai were besties, right? And so in the in the ring last week, Dakota Kai was gassing Raquel up and basically saying, you know, nobody could face her and nobody could be her and all that other stuff and talked about, you know, how as long as they're friends, you know, you gonna always be champion, how there's nobody left to defend the title against. So after this point, um, Raquel's music starts playing and she starts celebrating and just as soon as she turned around, Dakota Kai kicked her in the face and attacked her and proceeded to talk about how she and proceeded to allude to the fact that she wants to face um Raquel Gonzalez for the championship so this promo that she gave Tuesday was off the chain she was talking about how just a year ago or maybe well this is before the pandemic actually so when she, when Raquel Gonzalez got brought up to NXT you know as a full-time star because the first time we saw her was in the Mae Young Classic she brought her up to be her muscle like I've said multiple times on this show that I really felt like Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez were like Shawn Michaels and Diesel so um she talked about how she brought her up to basically be her muscle and how they basically, you know, came together and then dominated the women's division and even became the first ever NXT women's tag team t- champions, even though they lost it in one night. But, you know, they still had that. So after that point, she was talking about how everybody was basically passing her by and not, you know, paying her any attention, you know, to face Raquel because Raquel was the one with the championship and she accused Raquel of looking down on her and taking the spotlight off of her so that's why she stabbed her in the back to let her know that I'm the reason why you have everything that you have and oh my god it was so good so I'm really looking forward to seeing like Dakota kind of just can't keep no friends it's like you stabbed you turned heel for the first time when you stabbed Tegan Knox in the back and injured her and now you've lost your muscle. So, yeah, girl, it's going to be it's going to be nice knowing you after takeover 36 cuz she going to kill you. So, <laughs> yeah, that was cool. And also with the women, which really didn't involve the women per se, but still had the women in it. Um you had to love her or leave her match with Dexter Loomis versus Johnny Gargano. And of course, um, Dexter was fighting for the heart of Indy Hartwell because Indy's a part of the way, but her and Dexter Loomis have been flirting with each other back and forth for the past couple of months. It's kind of, it kind of gives off, um, Mandy Rose and Otis vibes 
But at the same time, it's still its very own unique thing because Dexter Loomis is, you know, the silent type and he draws pictures or whatever. So he expresses his feelings in other ways. And Indy, it really resonates with Indy and Indy wants him. But the way he doesn't want her Johnny and Johnny Gargano and Candace LeRae don't want her to be with him and it's just so stupid because I don't understand how a married couple can be so anti-love when it comes to their children like it just that pisses me off but um Dexter was fighting for the heart of um Indy Hartwell and I'll talk more about that later because like I said it has more to do with the men but also to do with the women at the same time. But I'll talk about that later. So also they had a segment showing Zoe Stark and um, Io Shirai trying to get to know each other in an Asian restaurant. And Io Shirai just looked disinterested and basically talked Zoe Stark into eating things that she really wouldn't have eaten otherwise. And they're just having a hard time connecting, which I think which I think is pretty funny and also really strange considering they're the women's tag team champions of NXT. But whatever. Um, so yeah, that's really all that happened with the women. So in terms of the men, the show started with Ashanti the Adonis and Top Dollar from, um, Hit Row fighting against Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde from, um, Legado del Fantasma because they have their whole little feud going on. So they were dissing each other back and forth, rapping at each other back and forth and everything. And then, um... Hit Row brought the fight to Legado Del Fantasma before the bell. And then once things calmed down, Top Dollar um, threw down around Joaquin Wilde with ease. And then Santos Escobar distracted the referee, which allowed for Joaquin Wilde to pull Adonis outside and throw him into the barricade. Now, let me just say, Ashanti the Adonis is a really cute guy. He has some nice long hair and he's cute and he looked good in this match. That's my thirst of the day. Actually, no, I have more for SmackDown, but we'll save that. Um, as Top Dollar took control of the match, Escobar pulled pulled Top Dollar outside and then hit him with a steel chair. And then in the chaos, Legado Del Fantasma attacked Isaiah Swerve Scott, the NXT North American champion, and ripped the grill out of his mouth. And I got really mad. I was like, oh my God, you don't just rip a grill out of somebody's mouth. I thought that was mad disrespectful. And I actually said that um, on Twitter. And then, which something that happened that really surprised me, but I really liked, was B-Fab actually grabbing a steel chair and... Um, and actually hitting one of the members of Le- of Legado del Fantasma and then Top Dollar worked together to send Escobar running away. And if it's one thing that B-Fab isn't, she isn't scared to get, to get, you know, rowdy with the boys either. Like, I love that her presence is not just, I'm just going to look pretty and stay here with all these boys. Like, no, she's going to get in on the action too. And I appreciate that because Legado del Fantasma doesn't have a female companion. Even though I feel like they could, but they don't. So B-Fab really does, you know, become hands-on with the fact that she's going to hit people and smack people, even if they are men. And I like that. So that was cool. And I hope that Isaiah Swerve Scott gets his grill back because, yeah, you don't take out a man's grill. Um, (laughs) Then 
Ridge Holland had his returning match against Ikemen Jiro, who was in the breakout tournament but got eliminated. And he likes to wear really cute jackets. And I think this, I think Tuesday he had on the one with the um, watermelon, which is one of my favorite fruits. So that was cool. So Jiro tried to jump at Ridge Holland to open the match, but he barely basically made a mark on this dude. Like, this dude is huge. I said on Twitter that I feel like Ridge Holland is what happens when, um, Walter and Brock Lesnar have a baby like he's the perfect combination of those two so um Ridge Holland hit a pounce outside then sent Jiro into the barricade and then Ridge Holland ripped off Jiro's jacket before finishing him off with a northern lights bomb and then Holland threw Jiro out of the ring afterwards to allow Pete Dunne to speak undisturbed so then um Pete Dunne put over his crew with Oni Lorcan and Holland as the most dangerous trio in NXT so Holland beat Jiro by pinfall. So that was pretty much it. And I'm glad to see him back after his injury. So that was cool. Um, I'm just wondering what direction is Pete Dunne and Oni Lorcan and Ridge Holland going to go into? Because Pete's basically been in a faction ever since um, Pat McAfee was there talking trash at Adam Cole. And now Pat McAfee got his promotion to SmackDown. So it's just been kind of weird and wild. And- kind of aimless with him now so i don't know um and plus there's all those rumors about his contract and everything possibly being up or whatever after SummerSlam. so uh, i don't know then we have roderick strong with the diamond mine which is minus one member now versus bobby fish and bobby fish has also been fired as well so there goes my dream of a possible reuniting of the undisputed era on the main roster because god dang it firings um they showed a video package ahead of this match, you know, that was recapping Roderick Strong's interview um, with Wade Barrett um, while adding Bobby Fish's own words, you know, for his fellow former Undisputed Era member. Then Bobby Fish showed um, in the match that he had a plan early connecting on a barrage of kicks and forearms, which worried Malcolm Bivens early. But then Roderick Strong fired back with his signature backbreakers, which are just heck to watch. Then um, Bobby Fish found his comeback and then strong threw him over the top rope to emphatically take out his opponent then roger strong planted his rival with an end of heartache for the victory so then um later on kushida accepted the challenge for roger strong for an nxt cruiserweight championship match and this is the last time we'll ever see bobby fish in wwe which saddens me so yeah then we had Cameron Grimes and LA Knight in a tag team match versus the Grizzled Young Veterans. And now the Grizzled Young Veterans have their scarves on WWE Shop. And I'm so glad because I love their scarves. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Cameron Grimes was um, checking with LA Knight before the match to make sure, you know, he they were on the same page. But then, of course, LA Knight promised to help him but did not force Grimes to wrestle in the butler attire. So... I didn't believe this one bit because L.A. Knight is just always, you know, looking for his own um, agenda here. And he's always looking to make Cameron Grimes look like an idiot. So this made so I was just skeptical the entire time. So the Grizzly Young Veterans ran down to the um, ran down the tag team in front of them on their way to the ring. And then um, Cameron Grimes planted James Drake with a crossbody. But then Knight accidentally distracted his partner and then allowed Gibson to get a hot tag to take down Cameron. Then Cameron um, crawled to the um, corner to give Knight a hot tag. But then 
um, LA Knight jumped off the apron and left Cameron Grimes by himself. Like, I figured that he would. And then um, Cameron Grimes fired up, but then he still ran into the ticket to mayhem and wound up losing the match. So after he lost, um, the Million Dollar Man, the OG Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, confronted Cameron Grimes at the edge of the ring and he told him that he had to find his way out of the deal before helping him to the back. So it seems like here, Ted DiBiase has become sort of an ally to Cameron Grimes because he sees that Cameron Grimes has the heart of being the actual million dollar champion has the heart of a champion period even though LA Knight is bullying him and acting like he's really a nothing and I'm really glad that he has him as an ally because I think that's that's a nice rub you know from from management and it's just you know a cool thing in general when you have an OG like that um beefing you up and trying to you know help you get your confidence back while you're working for this butthole so yeah um that was cool so then we had another um, breakout tournament match with Trey Baxter and versus Joe Gacy. And this match was pretty okay. Um, Gacy came out swinging at Trey Baxter, um, throwing around his weight. And then Trey Baxter found just enough separation to dive onto the big man repeatedly. And then um, Joe Gacy rolled back into the ring, clearly dazed um, by the offense. But then Trey Baxter followed him in with an impressive innovative offense that kept the action moving and finally trey baxter hit a 450 stomp for the victory so trey baxter is going forward in the tournament so baxter is now going to be facing i believe odyssey jones later so that's going to be interesting then samoa joe attacked security because general manager William Regal told Samoa Joe that he had brought security to keep Joe and Karen Cross away from each other. Because Karen Cross is still on NXT and him and Joe um, have challenged each other for an NXT title match at NXT TakeOver 36, which is going to be Sunday, um, the Sunday after SummerSlam. Because SummerSlam is taking place on a Saturday this year. And I won't be able to watch it because I'll be working. But it's whatever. So, um they showed a video package of the history of Samoa Joe and Karrion Cross, And I feel like, you know, that match is going to be really good. I don't know if Karrion is going to lose, though. I'm, I'm not sure about that. I'm just not sure just yet. Because they've had him on Raw and NXT lately. So I don't know if they're planning to just bring him up after this match or what. So I don't know. Then um, they showed the... Um, they showed Karrion Cross. Um, arriving before the main event, you know, to stand on the announce table to mock um, Samoa Joe. And then um, Samoa came out there and pushed through security, but then Karrion Cross disappeared and left a, and basically left the security guard to take a coquina clutch instead. Because Samoa Joe does not give a crap about any security. He is security. Like, he's just a weapon of mass destruction at this point. Um... Then NXT showed a prime target vignette on the rivalry of Walter and Ilya Dragunov because they're going to be facing each other for the NXT UK championship at TakeOver as well. So I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be really cool. So I don't know. Maybe Ilya will beat him or maybe Walter will just be continue to be the Bruno Sammartino of our time and continue to hold the UK title for as long as he so chooses because he's just a big brute. We'll see. So... The main event was Dexter Loomis versus Johnny Gargano in the Love Her or Leave Her match. 
So if Johnny Gargano won this match, then Dexter Loomis and Indy Hartwell would have to, you know, not see each other anymore and not flirt with each other. But then, of course, if Dexter Loomis were to win, he will win the heart of Indy Hartwell and then they'd be boyfriend and girlfriend forever and ever. Amen. So Dexter Loomis drew a new picture of his future with Indy Hartwell and Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae both told Indy Hartwell that Index has to end. Which makes me mad because, I mean, you guys are married to each other. You guys are a power couple. Why won't you let your quasi-adoptive daughter have some love in her life? That's disrespectful and it's evil. Either way. And it's toxic parenting. Either way. Whatever. Um, so, Dexter Loomis found himself at a disadvantage early on in the match against Johnny Gargano. Um, he... Johnny planted Dexter with a suplex on the outside, which sent Indy running down the ramp to ask Johnny to give Loomis the chance. But then, of course, Johnny kept refusing. Then Candice LeRae arrived when Hartwell and Loomis met hands below the ring and were holding hands. And then the distracted allowed Johnny Gargano to attack Loomis, planting him with a series of running kicks. Then, um... John, then um, Dexter Loomis went for a springboard elbow and then Johnny Gargano dodged and locked Loomis in the um, Gargano escape for the and then in the ensuing action Hartwell took an elbow from Loomis accidentally and Dexter Loomis was looking really distraught here because he knows he didn't mean to hurt Indy or knock her down. So afterward, Johnny Gargano took advantage um, of the distraction to hit his one final beat move outside, followed by another one inside the ring to win the match. And so they were walking away um, to walk Hartwell out and they were telling Indy, you know, no, you just need to get over it. He's not good for you. I won the match. It's done. All of the above. But... I was rooting for her to say, you know what, forget them, leave them. And so she actually ran away from them and then jumped on Dexter and started kissing him. And this is where NXT ended. And I was so glad because I'm just like, girl, sometimes you just have to follow your heart. And if your heart is leading you away from your family and to the arms of someone who really loves you, that you have a connection with and isn't being terrible to you as a person, then go to that man and love him and kiss him or go to that woman and love her and kiss her, you know, whatever you like. So yeah, that was how NXT ended. And now we're going to recap um, AEW. Okay, so for a little bit of a change, I'm going to do a weekly recap on um, AEW Dynamite because I actually watched it this week. Now, sometimes I like to take a little bit of a break from watching a lot of wrestling because I feel like if I watch so much wrestling at a time, my head will explode. Um, but I watched um, AEW this week just to shake things up a little bit. So, so I'm going to start with the women like I always do. And Britt Baker accepted red velvet's um challenge so Britt baker if you may or may not know um is actually known as dr Britt baker dmd because she's actually a dentist in real life and she's the aew women's champion and she was accompanied by her bestie rebel who likes to help her cheat and stuff so there's that she's a bad guy um and tony Schiavone um came out and basically tried to um basically interviewed her and Baker cut a promo um, basically talking about how she's the best and everything and how excited she is, how um, AEW Dynamite is going to be in her hometown um, in Pennsylvania next week. But um, she was interrupted by Miss Red Velvet and 
she expressed interest in challenging for the women's title to which um baker reminded her that she beat her um in three minutes the last time they fought each other but then red velvet mentioned that her 21 and 4 record um basically qualifies her to be next in line for a title shot um brit um accepted her challenge naming rampage in pittsburgh as the location which will take place next friday not next wednesday sorry um and then she beat up red velvet and added a stomp before standing tall to close out the segment and she left so i've only seen red velvet fight a couple of times um but she is pretty good so i'm interested in seeing her you know face off against Britt baker so that'll be interesting so i'm cool with that um also with the women's division you had a match involving the bunny and legit layla hirsch and just looking at legit layla hirsch she looks like uh an olympic wrestler like she like she could really be an olympic wrestler like or maybe she trained for it at some point and just didn't get a chance to do it but she looks amazing though so they were fighting each other to become um the number one contender to the nwa women's championship which is being held by camille who looks like and uh, who looks like a goddess in the ring like she's super tall um and i'm just like whoa but they proceeded to fight each other um layla hirsch was battling the bunny so the bunny dominated um entering the commercial break and then she shook off an early attempt by her opponent to grab a hold of an arm bar and then they exchanged glares with the title holder at ringside then um hirsch mounted a comeback and then applied a ar- another arm bar for the submission victory <clears throat> and the bunny tapped out so that's it and now camille is facing off camille comes into the ring and this is where i get interested because i'm looking at camille this is my first time ever seeing her and she stands up right next to miss hirsch and i'm like whoa like she's super tall and i'm wondering why her and jade cargill haven't fought <laughs> like ma'am like you're like an amazon and she was just amazing so that was interesting and then after the match um smart mark sterling um which i guess is his nickname now um he's an attorney and jade cargill was checking in and talking about you know how come they haven't been on tv lately um because she's basically been doing deals and trying to get you know shopped on the hollywood movies and stuff and then he revealed that she will return to action Monday on AEW Dark Elevation, which takes place on YouTube. So there's that. Um, and I think that's pretty much all that happened with the women on AEW. You know, they could stand to have more women's action, but I'm not really going to go into that um, right now. So the show began with one of the labors of Jericho, which is chapter three because Jericho had to win this match um, with a top rope move and he was fighting an old rival um, in Juventud Guerrera with MJF on commentary who's his mortal enemy at this point and if it's one thing that MJF does know how to do he knows how to get on your nerves and throughout the entire time on commentary he was just being mad disrespectful to referee Aubrey mad disrespectful to the commentary team he's just a disrespectful person like if you look up the definition of disrespectful in the in the dictionary MJF's picture would be right next to it but anyway um Chris Jericho fought his longtime rival Juventud Guerrero um so the quick high-flying Guerrero was keeping Jericho off guard really early 
only for um, Jericho to halt his momentum and deliver a crossbody from the top rope. Um, then Jericho delivered a backbreaker, but then referee Aubrey refused to count, reminding reminding Jericho that he has to win by coming off of the top rope. So he countered a top rope hurricanrana by a hooventude and applied the walls of Jericho, but then Guerrero fought out and then hit the hoovy driver one minute later for a near fall. And Jericho recovered and delivered the Judas effect from the top rope and then scored the win. So before he could even, Jericho could even celebrate this win, after the match, Wardlow attacked him um, while MJF announced that next week's labor will be a match against Wardlow with MJF as the special guest referee, to which all of the crowd were booing and all of the above and showing him the middle finger and stuff. The AEW audience can be very rough at times. <laughs> like, they do not give an F. So, yeah, there was that. Um, then we had a trios match with Eddie Kingston, John Moxley, and Darby um, uh, Allen with Sting on every side versus Daniel Garcia and 2.0. And I feel like one of the members of 2.0 looked really familiar to me. Um, he looked like he was, he looked like one of the dudes from who used to be in Everrise who got released. And I feel like, and I don't want to be right or I don't want to be wrong, but he really does look similar to one of the dudes in Everrise. So I don't know. So Matt Lee and Jeff Parker 2.0 basically teamed up with, um, Danny Garcia to fight the other three. And they dominated early, but the chop block by Lee allowed his team to take over, um, heading into the um, picture picture commercial break. And then when they came back from the break, um, the action broke down with John Moxley running over Garcia at ringside and, uh, and then Allen wiping out Lee. And then a tag to John Moxley sparked a comeback that culminated with Allen, Allen saying his name is so weird, Darby Allen executing of coffin drop to Garcia for the pinfall victory. And then afterward, they stood tall alongside Sting. And then a video package um, recapping Brian Cage's feud with Team Taz aired after that. Um, because apparently Brian Cage is beefing with the team that he used to be with. And I really don't know what else to explain from that. Because this is my first time watching AEW in months. So, yeah. I'm so excited I'm meeting Sting in two months. Because he's supposed to be coming to Alabama Comic Con. And I'm specifically going in or probably not in cosplay hopefully we'll see um you'll be surprised if i do and i'm gonna meet sting and i really want to meet him because he's like i've been watching him like since i was a kid so i'm really pumped to meet him so yeah that's pretty much all that happened then we had christian cage versus the blade and then um i was really excited to see christian wrestle here because i hadn't really seen him since i don't really watch AEW on a consistent basis which i yeah um I hadn't really seen him wrestle since um, he was in the Royal Rumble with Edge and him and Edge had that moment and they hugged and that was pretty much it. So this was interesting. So Christian Cage um, fought the Blade and, it, and um, legit Layla Hirsch attacked the bunny early, which removed her from the equation and ensured that, ca that um, Christian would have a fair shot at beating the workhorse of the Hardy family office. Hardy gang, Hardy gang. Then Blade managed to seize control of the match throughout the commercial break, but then Christian fought back and he withstood a late surge by the Blade to deliver a, the spear 
and pick up a win, remaining undefeated in AEW singles action, which basically means at any point he could possibly challenge for the AEW title that's currently being held by Kenny Omega. So that's cool. Then um, the elite beat down Hangman Adam Page. So Hangman Page joined Tony Schiavone for another in-ring promo, but then he found himself cut off by the arrival of the elite. That's Kenny Omega, the AEW champion, um, the Young Bucks, the AEW Tag Team Champions, and the Good Brothers, who I believe are now the who are the Impact Tag Team Champions. So yeah, Kenny came out there and accused his former friend of trying to rejoin the Elite, but basically said that the group doesn't allow any type of losers, noting that everyone involved holds some type of gold and that he just doesn't, you know, add to the hype anymore. Then Adam Page reacted with a hard right hand and punched him. But then immediately, um, the elite attacked him and jumped him and stuff. Then the Dark Order um, came out and tried to, you know, help him out. But then Stu Grayson and Evil Uno were like saying, nope, nope, let's not. Because he did tell them earlier in the night that he just didn't want their help. And that for now that we're done. So they're just like, nope, if he said he doesn't want our help, then we're not going to help him. Which is kind of sad, but it's whatever. And they basically beat up Adam Page and then um, they also beat up um, Elite Hunter Kazarian to basically end the segment here. So I just don't know what this is going to entail because a lot of people were saying and Jobber Tears was saying this that um, Hangman Adam Page should be next in line for the title. But then he got beat um, last week in a match. So which sort of knocks him out of contention, I would assume. So I'm not necessarily sure how that's going to go, but yeah. Then we had a TNT championship match with Lee Johnson versus Miro. And I was rooting for Lee Johnson here because, yeah, um, because I root for everybody black and because of that whole thing that came out earlier in the week about AEW just sort of pushing forward a lot of their champions, you know, being white people. But I'm just going to chill with that. Um, So... Miro was defending the championship, and so he overwhelmed the challenger early and often, dominating the match throughout the commercial break. But then Lee Johnson was just not giving up, and he just kept, you know, fighting him and kept, you know, hitting him with everything that he had. And I was really impressed with him. Johnson's comeback involved a dive over the top rope, a crossbody, and a super kick that momentarily rocked Miro. But Miro recovered, though, and then ultimately applied the accolade which he now says, game over, because he used to say, Rusev crash, but you know, that's not going to happen. And he got the submission victory and Miro retained the title. Also during this time, I noticed that Miro calls himself, you know, God's favorite champion or something like that, or God's favorite wrestler or something, because now he's doing this thing where he thanks Jesus, you know, his matches, which I think is cool, you know, because I'm I'm a Christian, but at the same time, he's a heel and you can tell, so it's odd but yeah congrats to him then we had the main event which is ultimately what i think i was watching it for was malachi black formerly known as alistair black versus cody rhodes and i was genuinely surprised with how this match turned out so malachi black made his entrance you know his dark entrance um and then cody rhodes came out and then um, Malachi was sporting black while the American Nightmare was wearing white, you know, 
and then Black kicked the left knee of his opponent and gouged his eyes and then applied a half crab. Then Cody Rhodes tried to create separation and scale the ropes, but um, Malachi rocked him with a kick that knocked him from the turnbuckle and threw a table at ringside. And this part was really weird because it felt like it felt like after Malachi kicked him, Cody jumped into the table and he didn't necessarily sell the kick on time. And that just made me feel really weird because I was just like, it just looked like you, you, the kick was like a tap and you were just like, oh, I got to react. And then you were like, oh, I'm falling. And that's kind of what it looked like. But let me just chill. Um, so Cody limped back into the ring. Um, Malachi hit him with the black mask, but I'm not sure that's what they called it on commentary, but we know that that's what that is if you watch wrestling on a consistent basis. And then he placed one foot on the chest of his opponent. Malachi Black actually won and and beat Cody Rhodes clean, which was surprising because from what I hear, Cody Rhodes doesn't put people over that often, especially over himself. So I'm like, he won? Really? Wow. And then after the match, this was really weird because it got kind of emotional. Cody cut a promo that hinted that he was going to retire and, you know, leave everything and everybody behind and stuff like that. And he even included a reference to infighting among the EVPs of AEW, which I thought was like, whoa. And then as he was getting ready to take his boots off, which is what I learned is a signifier of your of you hang, putting your boots away and retiring or whatever. Um, Malachi came back into the ring and blasted him with a crutch in order to end the show. And plus, I thought it was weird how once before the match ended and he was selling the black mask. And after the match ended, it's like Cody got back up. Even though, you know, he was being helped up and everything by like two, by the referee and somebody else. It was just strange that he just got back up and just started talking. In WWE, when anybody got kicked with a black mask, mask, and that was like the end of the match, you knew that was the end because the, the opponent did not get back up after that, did not talk and did not say anything after that. You just get kicked and that's just it. You just get knocked out. So that was just really strange. But yeah, that was my experience watching AEW. And now we're going to do the last recap of SmackDown. All right, so now in our final weekly recap, I'm going to recap SmackDown. And SmackDown was lit last night in more ways than one. Uh <laughs> It's just, I'm just, oh God, it was amazing and sad at the same time. But yeah, well, here we go. The show started with Sasha Banks, <laughs> who made her return last week and wrestling a tag team match, only to turn on the SmackDown Women's Champion, Bianca Belair. So she came out there and explained why she did what she did um, and how she felt disrespected by Bianca, who's basically been, you know, on a tear since she won the championship at WrestleMania against Sasha Banks and their historic Black Girl Magic match, um, which they won ESPYs for. And Sasha Banks was saying, you know, I'm the reason why you have the ESPY. I'm the reason why you get to hang out with Megan Thee Stallion. You know, I'm the reason why you were able to perform at Roll Aloud, all this other stuff. Like basically saying that I'm back 
to get the spotlight that I deserve because I'm because I'm the reason why Bianca is able to enjoy all this success. And even after she was saying that even after their WrestleMania match, that Bianca was didn't even tell her thank you, and yet she's coming out here dissing me every week and all this other stuff. So Sasha was just taking credit for all of it and basically said that she would be nothing without me. And Bianca Belair came out and didn't take too kindly to any of that. So, um, Bianca said that basically, as I remember correctly, it was you who was begging me to choose you to fight at, at WrestleMania, which may or may not have been true. Um, because of course it was Bianca's choice after she won the Royal Rumble who she could face and Bianca chose Sasha. But to be honest, Sasha was kind of saying, you know, I want you to face me. So it's whatever. So after that point she made reference to the fact that she disappeared for four months after Belair had beat her and took the title and Belair basically said that if Sasha wanted to get a chance at the title back she could get it but this brought out Zelina Vega which basically had all the sass out here and there was a point where Zelina was basically saying you know that you can't that Sasha couldn't just jump um her ratchet her ratchet self in line (laughs) Which is so funny because I haven't heard anybody call Sasha Ratchet since the early NXT days of her career or whatever. Like, because everybody used to say Sasha's Ratchet, clap, 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 clap. Which Sasha said in an interview years ago that she thought they were saying Sasha was rat shit. <laughs> and she just had no clue what, ra- what the word ratchet even meant at that point. But yeah, like, it was so funny to hear um, Zelina call her Ratchet or whatever. Um, and she basically said that Belair, that if anybody was going to fight, you know, Bianca Belair for the title was going to be her. So Bianca was like, okay, so if you want to fight me, you know, I'll accept your challenge and your challenge and, um, Sasha Banks's challenge for SummerSlam. So later in the show, she said that she would get her opportunity, but then, um, when Zelina Vega was saying that she wanted to face her immediately, she was saying this to Sonya Deville and Adam Pierce. They were both saying that they didn't have time to promote the fight. So their fight would be um, non-title, which made me upset because I'm sitting here like, oh, so she can't have a have, you know, a verbal challenge for the title. But John Cena can just thrust in and write his name on a contract that didn't even have his name imprinted on it. And Sasha can use her horsewoman privilege to go in and challenge Bianca Belair for a title at SummerSlam. I mean, yeah, y'all got time to promote that. But at the same time, you be giving everybody else opportunities. But yeah, you can't give Zelina Vega one. Yes, this is a Zelina Vega stand podcast. She deserves the opportunity at the title, too. like she i know she just came back but my thing is i want to see her win in these streets i'm tired of seeing Zelina vega lose like she is a great wrestler like why aren't we giving her more opportunities to express that and show that like for real like i'm sick of it but it's whatever um she and Bianca Belair had their non-title match and Bianca Belair came out there with her pink and black gear on it was looking cute it was giving heart family vibes it was cute um, and she came out there with, you know, her braid, you know, all the way down and had her edges laid and everything looking cute per usual. Um, 
and she wound up beating Zelina Vega with the kiss of death and there was a point where Belair was dominating the match and had her you know and had Zelina Vega pressed and everything but then Sasha Banks came out there to try to distract her or whatever and then um Bianca was like well come on if you want to fight me then come on like she's not scared but then Zelina Vega you know use that distraction to turn the tables on her and hit her with a DDT outside the ring. But that momentum didn't necessarily last long before Belair was able to take back over by hitting the kiss of death for the win. So this is, I feel like Bianca versus Sasha too is going to be an amazing um, match because their first match was amazing. Like, if their first match is going to be, you know, a contender for match of the year, then their second one should be nothing short of amazing. And I'm team Bianca. As much as I love Sasha and I know believe that Sasha is the greatest women's wrestler of all time, I'm rooting for Bianca. I don't want her to lose. So, <laughs> yeah, there's that. Um, and also with the women, we on SmackDown, we had Tegan Knox versus Tamina. Like I said in the Raw segment, Tamina's out here, you know, fighting people on one-on-one competition. Since Natalia's out with an injury... And she was able to fight Tegan Knox, And they're actually using her name here. And this match was relatively short. Um, it was okay, but it could have been better in some places. But Tegan Knox wound up winning the match um, after a distraction from um, Shotzi Blackheart shooting her um, toy missile at Tamina from her tank, which they're calling the Taking Care of Business tank. And um, Tegan Knox rolled her up for the win. So, yeah, there was that. Um... And that's pretty much all that happened with the women. But the women's action was very, very, very solid here. And all of the sass that was coming from Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks, and um, and Tamina, well, not Tamina, Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks, and Zelina was everything I could have ever asked for from those girls. It was so, so cool. Like, I'm trying to figure out. Oh, my gosh. I'll, I'll figure out what exactly Zelina called um, Sasha. Like, because it was just really funny. It was like a ratchet. It's like one minute you had um, Pat McAfee calling Baron Corbin bum ass. Yeah, there we go. A ratchet little vulture. She called... She called Sasha Banks a ratchet little vulture, which kind of fit her outfit that she had on because Sasha came out there looking great, looking like Beyonce or whatever. But she came out there with these with like these sleeves on that were sparkly and everything. And she actually called her a ratchet little vulture. And then when she was talking to Bianca Belair, she was talking to her with a really thick Queens, New York accent because that's where she's from. And I was just like, oh, my God, like it reminded me a lot of a Facebook status that I saw where folks be throwing mad folks from the south be throwing mad shade at people who say oh i'm from new york and how da, 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 da. but then people from the south be looking at them like and <laughs> like that's what i feel like bianca belair was giving to me like she was just like okay girl whatever like i'll fight you even though they said nothing about i'm from the south or i'm from the north it's just it to me it's just like when she kept coming at her you know with that accent i was just like look bianca's not scared of you ma'am she's the only 10 we see because she's from Tennessee so let's go but that's pretty much all that happened with the women now when it comes to the dudes on the other hand Finn Balor was um 
Finn Balor is really, he's really pushing for a, a universal championship title match against Roman Reigns, even though they got Roman versus John Cena set up for SummerSlam. So I don't know how that's going to happen. So um, Paul Heyman was interviewed backstage by Kayla Kayla, Kayla Braxton, my heart. Um, saying that John Cena's contract to face Roman Reigns is meritless as the contract was intended for Finn Balor. Um, and he talked about if he had a legitimate contract for $75 million, um, for $75 million, if he attacked Tom Brady and signed his contract in his place. And he basically said no, because that wouldn't make any sense. So due to the absurdity of the situation he said roman reigns had nothing to say about john cena's contract so he's not acknowledging john cena at all but he's using his energy to acknowledge finn balor because he was the one who he really wanted to face but then as paul Heyman was going back inside the locker room with the tribal chief Big E was standing right in front of him after he ran down kayla braxton and he was laughing at him saying <laughs> he was laughing at him and holding the money in the bank briefcase on his shoulders and giggling and stuff and I, and, and everybody popped real hard for biggie because i'm saying he'll like see that's the x factor in all of it right there that's the t right there that it doesn't matter who wins the universal championship if biggie decides to cash in on either one of y'all it'll be over <laughs> and then biggie could be universal champion who knows ha ha so that was funny then finn balor had a match with bum ass baron corbin as what pat mcafee kept calling him um and corbin of course came out and apologized to finn balor for ruining his SummerSlam contract last week and finn balor wasn't accepting it because he said that he's not the smiley face finn balor that he used to be a long time ago so um after the match you know the match was relatively quick but and even though finn balor put in some offense it really didn't help after finn hit that coup de gras on him and hit him with the one two three finn balor is still out here looking like he doesn't have a homeboy that could give him a shape up for free and getting his haircut for free and all that other stuff and it's just so sad but it's whatever um and don't nobody feel sorry for him because he was he's been mean all this time so hey whatever this is just karma so after the match finn balor said that he wouldn't sit back and smile about the situation and that he'd run through john Cena to get his match with roman reigns you know just name the time and the place and this is where everybody was chanting for um was chanting for john Cena to come out but john can't come out because he's out here promoting the suicide squad movie that he was in that came out this week so he ain't there so um this brought out roman reigns and then um, Rain said that he understands Finn Balor's frustration, especially with John Cena, but that he needs to remember that Reigns tried to give him an opportunity and that Balor needed to keep Reigns' name out of his mouth. Um, then Finn Balor shoved Roman Reigns from the ring, only for Roman to land on his feet like a cat. Like, bro, what? And then he got jumped from behind by the Usos when they were still chanting for John Cena. So Finn Balor fought back and then took out both the Usos, you know, because he ain't scared. And he drew Roman Reigns back to the ring after he took off his little jacket or whatever. Took down, and he didn't take down his hair. Um, and then Finn Balor took the right, took the fight to Roman Reigns, but then he was again attacked by the Usos. This time with the numbers being too great for him to, you know, rise up from it. So I just think I feel bad for Finn Balor because he he has a worthy argument like he wants to fight 
freaking Roman Reigns and he has the right to fight him because he never lost the universal title. He never really had a chance to get it back. Whereas John Cena kind of just threw it through himself in and just decided, you know, oh, I'm going to sign this contract in the place of him because nobody wants to see that. Now, mind you, Roman versus John Cena is, you know, a very intriguing option for us to see at SummerSlam because that's a big four show. But Roman versus Finn Balor makes all the sense in the world because Finn Balor is consistently a fighter and he's consistently there and he's not Mr. Hollywood. So it's very confusing. I'm wondering how they're going to work that out. But either way, it's still intriguing. So then Jay Uso um, fought Dominic Mysterio and beat and beat him after a top rope splash. And even though um, backstage Dominic was talking about how he really didn't need Ray's help and Ray was saying how he really didn't need Dominic's help, um, Ray was still, you know, coming in the clutch and trying to keep him from getting um, attacked by Jimmy Uso in the match. But after that happened, um, um, Dominic got distracted. He wound up losing. So um, Jay Uso has the advantage in terms of that. And they're supposed to be facing each other for the SmackDown tag titles um, at SummerSlam. So there's that. Then King Shinsuke Nakamura um, had a match against Apollo Crews. And I was so glad to see Apollo Crews as the Intercontinental Champion fighting somebody else other than Big E. Because if I saw him and Big E in the same ring one more time, I might have just snapped on somebody. But that didn't happen. And now he has a few with Shinsuke who's riding all the momentum of stealing Baron Corbin's crown and having Rick Boogs out there with him. And I thought it was cool how Rick Boogs was out there, you know, to introduce Shinsuke. And before he said his last name, the crowd said his last name. And I was like, oh my God, Rick Boogs is over. I'm so happy. And that was just really cool. And, you know, I'm just really happy for him in that aspect. But then the match ended after inter- via DQ after interference from Commander, Az- Commander Aziz, which upset me because I'm just like, dang it, you just stay ruining good matches. So it's whatever, but I think it's safe to assume that Shinsuke and Apollo are going to be going up against each other for the IC title. And I feel weird because I feel like Apollo's character in terms of him being the Nigerian um brute that he once was against biggie is just sort of wearing down because they're not putting so much into it like they used to and i feel like they need to do that or otherwise it's just gonna fall off a little bit so yeah it's weird then edge and seth rollins went at each other and proceeded to talk trash to each other because seth rollins was on the screen via satellite and edge was out there in the ring saying you know he's you know i bet you he doesn't want to face me right now because he's not even here and he's scared of me right so edge laid down the challenge at SummerSlam, but then rollins you know blew off and saying you know i would consider it i'll think about it and then edge continued to push and said that seth rollins was nothing more than edge light edge great value you're like you're just a wannabe me like it was it was so it was so amazing and then he proceeded to call him a tele a, a fake televangelist which is true because i've said on this show that i feel like or at least my boyfriend said this that he feels like seth rollins's character reminds him a lot of joseph c from far cry four or five um um and so and joseph c was like a really scary preacher man 
who started this cult, you know, in middle America, and then basically was talking and basically led these people to take drugs and all this other, but Seth ain't doing that. But he's basically dressed up like a crazy televangelist. And the suit Seth had on made him look like an AKA. No disrespect to pink and green, but that's really what he looked like. And (laughs) it was just really funny. And so Seth Rollins got really mad when Edge told him that you're just, you know, a, a carbon copy of me and he accepted his challenge and so we got edge and seth rollins of summer slam so that was really cool and then um montez ford and Dolph ziggler um well no i'm sorry the street profits and the dirty dogs had a tag team match against each other and montez ford wound up winning the match um with the frog with his amazing from the heavens frog splash which seems like it hurts him every time he does that. And it's just so weird because he just got a surgery on his ribs. So I'm trying to, I, I want Montez Ford to kind of take it easy on him on those things. But then again, those frog splashes are amazing. Like the airtime he gets, is just like, whoa. It's like he believes he can really fly. And then it's just like whoosh and then plop. So yeah, it's cool. Um, so yeah, that's just really awesome. So that's pretty much all that happened on SmackDown. It was a pretty solid episode. Um, I'm going to need for Zelina Vega to just get some more justice, though, because I love her. And I also want to send a shout out to her because she actually followed um, the Hardy Wrestling Podcast page on Twitter. And she follows me on Instagram, too. I think she saw the post that I made about her wondering what she would have to say about the Aaliyah music situation with Black Ground Records because... Um, a little bit off subject in terms of wrestling. Um, Aaliyah um, and the estate, the R&B star who tragically passed away 20 years ago um, in a plane crash. Um, the estate is going back and forth with her uncle, Barry Hankerson, who's in charge of Black Ground Records, which is where she recorded most of her music. And now they're deciding and now Black Ground Records has now decided to make it available for streaming within the next couple of weeks to coincide with the 20th anniversary of her passing to give fans availability to stream her music everywhere um, outside of YouTube, because you haven't been able to play her music um, any place except YouTube and Pandora for like the past 20 years. So, um, now it's going to be on streaming, like on Spotify and Apple music, hopefully and stuff. And the estate and the Aaliyah estate doesn't necessarily like that. Cause they feel like it's just a cash grab on the part of the uncle and they would rather it happen another way. And considering Zelina Vega has shown time and time again, that she is a huge Aaliyah fan. I was just saying, oh, I wonder how she felt about that. And I guess she saw it and she followed me on Twitter and I'm so glad she did. And um, yeah, if she ever wants to come on the show, she can. Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, it would be wonderful if she did. So yeah, that's pretty much all that happened on SmackDown. So thank you for listening to this new episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Like I said, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Queen Steph Hardy. And you can follow the podcast pages on Instagram at Hardy Wrestling Podcast and on Twitter at Hardy WrestlePod. Um, You can also um, check me out on Women's Wrestling Talk this week um, as me and my um, Women's Wrestling Talk sister and boss lady um, queen TK Trinidad interview Ivalice. So please check that out on Fight TV because we now have um, 
a deal with Fight Television. So now you get to hear women's wrestling news and see our interviews on Fight TV every Wednesday at 7 um, 7 p.m. Eastern, I believe. So please check that out. I'm really excited about that. And I'm really blessed to be a part of that um, collection of hosting families with all of them. So please check out Women's Wrestling Talk and see what we got going on there. And of course, within the next few weeks, I have... On the same night as SummerSlam, I'm going to be commentating for um, Bell- for the Belladonna Division um, event, Genesis 2. We're going to have Belladonna Bros wrestling for it for the first time. And we're going to have the all-female show as well. It's featuring um, someone who I had on my show, Amber Rodriguez. Um, she'll be on the show along with Renee Michelle, Maserati, Maserati Lazarus, and so many other great talented women. Um, from the independent circuit coming to our show to wrestle and I'll be commentating so please buy your tickets I'm going to be sharing um, the flyer more so on my pages from now on and hopefully have more people from the show you know on my show in the next few weeks but if not then that's fine too I'll still be talking about it and bigging it up and shout out to Casey Dillon and Veronica Fairchild for this amazing um, southern wrestling show that we get to partake in here in Gadsden Alabama so with that in mind, thank you for listening to the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl, Stephanie Hardy. And until next time, I hope you're being your best self and you're being healthy and stuff. And I'm just hoping that, you know, you're just taking care of yourself and being awesome. So until next time, this is the Hardy Wrestling Podcast signing off. Bye, y'all.